Good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining. Thanks for coming back for our Parsha Perspectives for today. Every week, an analysis of the Parsha with an emphasis on lessons that we can learn, ideas that we can take out that inspire us in contemporary times, that we can apply to our lives in a very real way. I want to thank our sponsors, our generous sponsors for the year. Our dear friends, Becky and Avi Katz, in memory of David Grossman, Becky's father. Also, this morning's class is sponsored by David and Sharon Carpell. In memory of Reverend Herman Rakov, Chaim Shmuel ben Menachem Feivel, Rabbi Cantor Seymour Rakov, Rabbi Eliyahu Shalom ben Chaim Shmuel, thank you for your generosity and for your sponsorship. Today we have the privilege of studying together Parsha Zre'eh. Parsha Zre'eh appears in the Art Scroll Stone Chumash on page 998. And it starts with the iconic words, Re'eh Anochi Nosim Lefnechem Hayom, Bracha Uklala. And believe me, friends, as I know you do, that if we wanted, we could spend several hours, literally hours, analyzing just these words, just this opening Pasuk. Re'eh, behold, see, look. Anochi nosein hayom. I place before you today, bracha uklala, blessing and curse. What do these means? What do these words mean? Rashi tells us, re'eh anochi nosein. What is Hashem putting before us? What is Moshe Rabbeinu conveying? What is he communicating? Says Rashi, ha'amuros grizim bavahar eval. This is a reference to the brachas that will be delivered at Har Grizim and at Har Eval. He's instructing them that when you enter Eretz Yisrael, when we enter the land, there'll be these two great mountains. We'll divide the tribes and they'll stand on either side and you will be given blessings and curses that will be recited. You'll answer Amen and Re'eh. That's what you should behold. That's what you should see. That's what you're going to get. But the Ramban disagrees. And the Ramban famously says that this Pasuk is in fact giving us something different, something fundamental, something axiomatic. Says the Ramban, this is the Torah source for free will. The idea that we are empowered with autonomy, that we make decisions, that we have choices, and that the choices we make have consequences, that we create a reality around us. We make the right choice, we draw closer. We make the wrong choice, and we create distance. We put a wedge. It's true in our relationships. It's true in marriage. It's true in friendship. And it's true in our relationship with Hashem. So, Re'eh, behold, I give you bracha uklala. You have choices. You're not pre-programmed robots. Your life is not fatalistic. What you do does matter. Says the Ramban, this is the Torah source for the concept, the idea, and the ideal of free will. Look and embrace and see and know that what you do will, that what you do will in fact matter. The Chassam Sofer says that this notion of free will is very significant. I'm reading to you from the Chassam Sofer on the parasha. Note the grammatical shift. We begin re'e anochi. Re'e means in the singular. You, individual, look. Singular, lashon yochid. And then, no saying where? Lifnechem, before you in the plural. Why the shift? Why the change from the singular to the plural? Lashon rab. acknowledges that many interpretations, many answers have been offered to this question. And maybe this is a hint. Our great rabbis, the Gemara in Kedushin, Daf Mem tells us, A person should live their life and look at the world and say, imagine the entire future of the world hangs in the balance. Everything is half Zakai and half Chayev. Zacha Ashrav Shechrias Atma is Kolom Zakos. Vahepech Behepech. It means to say that a person should live their life and say, the entire world, the outcome of this pandemic, the outcome of Elon Omar's election today, please God, she should lose and we should celebrate. The outcome of the enemies and their plans against us. The outcome of whatever it is that we're hoping or looking for in this world, even if it's global even if it's something which is international or national. A person should bring the mentality and the attitude of, it depends on me. The whole world hangs in the balance 50-50, and my next act, what I look at on the internet, what I say to my friend, how I conduct myself in business, how I occupy myself with my time, my next decision, my next act, it matters. It has cosmic implications. It makes an enormous difference. Okay. 
This next decision seems so insignificant, so negligible. What does it matter? Do I make a bracha? Did I not make a bracha? Did I bench from a bencher? Did I say an asher when I got out of the bathroom? Did I call and check in on someone? Did I actually give tzedakah? What does it matter? It's inconsequential. It's negligible. It's invisible. It's immeasurable. Says the Ichsam Sofer, no, that's what the Torah is telling us. Re'eh, we change from the Lashon Yachid to the Rabbim, from the single to the many. To know that the fate of the many depends on the act of the individual. V'zeu akra mitzvah l'cho yachid v'yachid. Re'eh, look into your heart, look into your life. You, the individual. Lemur, tell to say all the time, l'cho la'ulam v'anashav, anochi nosein l'fneichem ayom, b'maisa brachu klala hakol l'fiz chusi. Re'eh, you the individual. Re'eh, look. Nosen lefnechem, in front of all of you, the whole world, bracha uklala. Your next act will determine if it's a bracha or a klala, a blessing or a curse. Your next decision, your next thought, your next speech, your next interaction with the world will determine so much for more than just you, for more than just your family, but on a much larger and more global scale. That is, on the one hand, an awesome responsibility. It's one we don't necessarily ask for. It's one we didn't invite. It's one we didn't ever sign up for or even accept. It's an awesome responsibility. But it's also amazingly empowering to know that we're not invisible or inconsequential, that what we do, what we say, what we think, it matters, it makes a difference, it shapes and it molds the very future. It's incredibly empowering to us. It matters. It matters. In the Sefer Vihigarat of Yankel Galinsky, Zatzal asked Rav Chaim Kanievsky Shlita, Yibod B'lachaim Tovim V'aruchim, he said to him, what's the emphasis? He was a great darshan, Rav Yankel Galinsky. He went around and he spoke and he inspired. He was a Jewish motivational speaker. And he asked Rav Chaim, what should I emphasize? What's the most important thing to draw attention to? And he said, Rav Chaim, Ta'orer, you should awaken people. Shekol Echad Yeda, that everyone needs to know Shekol Atzarash Ba'olam Ba'oz Big Lalo, that whatever's happening in the world, good or bad, is because of them. That should be our mentality, that should be our attitude. You know, when I was a little kid, I used to think whether the Yankees won or lost that night would deter, was determined by whether I was a good or bad boy that day. I loved the Yankees, I rooted for the Yankees, I cared about the Yankees. And in a very immature, unsophisticated view of sports and philosophy of the world, I used to think that how well the Yankees did and whether they would emerge from the playoffs was not determined by their skill set or their worthiness or by the worthiness of the owners or stakeholders, but a young boy in Teaneck, New Jersey was determined by me. On the one hand, that was immature and unsophisticated and it was grossly misapplied to a world of sports. But what Rav Chaim was saying was it should be our attitude it should be our attitude lahavdil to the world at large. My community, my shul, my family, my people, the outcome, their outcome will be determined by me and my behavior. It's a great responsibility, but it's also enormously empowering. Where did he get this from? Where did he get this from? Where did Chassam Sofer get this from? Where did get this from? Chassam Kanievsky. They got it from a Rambam. The Rambam and Hilchus Tshuva were not yet at Elul. But it's never too early to start getting ready. The Rambam in Hilchos Tshuva Paragimel writes, Everyone should every day approach the world and say the world hangs in the balance. The skills are weighed exactly and entirely even. And my next deed, my next act, my next thought, my next speech, is going to be placed on one side of the scale or the other, and it will tip the scale in one favor or the other. And we also see this in the Gemara in Yuma Pevav, that when one person transforms their life, when one person takes stock in their life and changes their life, it can bring great merit, not only to them, their family, the community, and to our people. And that's the attitude we need to know. And, and it's, it's, on the one hand, great creates great guilt. That's not the goal. It's supposed to empower us and drive us and give us an ambition to live the kind of lives we're capable of living. Rav Chaim said, it's true. In the world of Mazak, Gurama ben Ezekiel is potter. If a person damages someone else indirectly, they are exempt. But Rav Chaim Kanievsky was quick to point out that that's true bidei adam. That's true in a human court, we'd be exempt if we damage indirectly. But bidei shamayim or chayev. So when we don't take advantage of every moment, every opportunity, every invitation to tip the scale in the favor for the people we care about, that's grama benazikin. That is an indirect damage for which we will be liable. So as I said, that's great, that's greatly um, obligates us, but it's also greatly 
it's also greatly empowering. And it's very consistent with what the Ramban was telling us. The shift from the Yochid to the Rabban, the Re'eh to the Lufnechem, that the outcome for the whole world depends on us, is supposed to be empowering, that our free will matters. So much of the spike of mental health illness in our time, particularly with young people, is the result of FOMO, of looking around in social media and thinking everyone else is living such glorious, incredible lives, such perfect lives. They're all mattering. They all make such a difference. And me, I'm invisible. Nobody cares. Nobody would notice if I disappear. I've had that conversation with so many, and it is so profoundly and deeply painful to hear that so many, no matter how connected they are, online, offline, feel invisible, inconsequential, like we don't matter. And that's what the Torah is empowering and tells us, no re'eh, look, Hashem says, I'm giving you bracha or klala, your next act, your next deed, it makes a difference, it matters, it shapes the cosmos, it has a global impact and implication. I want to share with you from, told us Yaakov Yosef, of Yaakov Yosef of Polna, who was the um, Principal Talmud of the Bashem Tov, who really captured the Bashem Tov, the founder of Hasidus' teachings, and spread them. He was really the one who recorded the Bashem Tov's teaching and is the one who shared them with the world. And he writes, One has to know, When it comes to humility, there can be extreme humility in a bad way. There can be humility in a bad way. Actually, before we look at this, I want to read, share with you from Rav Druk, because Rav Druk also expanded on this notion with a very beautiful interpretation, a homiletic interpretation. He says, You know, the Pasuk says, Anochi, the sense of Anochi. When Moshe Rabbeinu, two parashas ago, is reminding the people of the story of the giving of the Torah, he says, after the first two Dibros, which were given directly by God, you panicked, you had a meltdown. And you weren't able to hear from God directly. And I had to communicate the rest. I had to give it to you. Anochi, says Moshe, I stood between you and Hashem, and I gave you the rest of the Dibros. I transmitted to you the rest of Torah. But the Bali Musar and the Hasidish of the Rebbe say, don't read it that way. It's not Anochi, I, Moshe, stood between you and God and gave you the rest of the Dibros. The way to read it is Anochi. Do you know what stands between us and God? Do you know what the biggest obstacle is between our connecting to the divine, feeling his presence and his love, expressing gratitude, dependence, loyalty to him. The biggest obstacle or impediment that stands between us and him is Anochi. Anochi omeid ben Hashem uveneichem. The sense of Anochi, the I, the ego, the id, the ego, the arrogance, our need, our wants, our view of the world, our honor, it stands between us and God. Anochi omeid ben Hashem uveneichem. So Rav Druk takes this wonderful pshat of Anochi, and he says, maybe that's what's going on over here. Re'eh Anochi nosein lefnechem. I've given you a sense of Anochi. I've given you a self-confidence, a sense of self. Bracha or klala. You see, a sense of self can go one of two ways. You know, there's another form of mental illness, people who have no self-confidence, people who have no self-value, people who don't see themselves as mattering, what we're talking about, as making a difference. Then Anochi, Anochi, is a, a, a bracha. A person has to know, I matter, I make a difference, I'm a tzalem alokim. We'll have later in the parsha, and we'll talk about this morning, we are children of Hashem. I need to know, I'm prince, I'm a princess. I'm royalty, I descend from the Almighty. There's a piece of Him in me. My anochi, I matter, I make a difference, I'm here in this world for a reason. Anochi, a healthy sense of self, of self-confidence, of self-worth. It's critically important. So a healthy notion and sense of anochi is a bracha. But an anochi that says, my way or the highway, an anochi that says that I have to overpower everyone around me, the anochi that says everyone has to honor me and bow to me and bend to me and yield to me, that anochi, klala, person with arrogance and ego, too much arrogance, too much ego, that in fact is a curse. So says Rav Druk, maybe that's the pshat in the Pasuk. Re'eh, look and see, a sense of anochi. I've given you a sense of self. Bracha or klala, it can go either way. Too little sense of self, that's a mental illness. Suicidal ideation, depression, that's mental illness when you have too little sense of self. It's a bracha to know that you matter. Too much sense of self, arrogance and ego, klala. Then 
then in fact it's a curse. So let's go back to the told Yaakov Yosef. That's what he's expanding on as well. Even when it comes to humility, you need to be measured and moderate. As I heard from the Baal Shem Too much humility, false humility. When you think, who am I? What difference? You think it really matters to God if I make a bracha, if I daven, if I keep Torah mitzvahs, if I give tzedakah, if I do chesed. Does it really matter to him, the omnipotent, the infinite one? Little old me, little nothing me, little insignificant me. That's a klala. Such a form of humility is not humility. It's simply a misunderstanding and a misconception. You don't realize that your next deed, what you look at on the internet when we're done, where you go, what you say, the next text you send, it has cosmic implications. It matters. It shapes the entire world. Every moment of Torah you learn, every heartfelt filah that you offer, it has cosmic implications. The angels are nourished with it. If you only understood that, if you had that view of the world, if you were able to see from that perspective, we would live every moment to its fullest. We would embrace every second and every opportunity. We would realize the inestimable value of every deed. The way we would daven slowly with concentration, if we understood that the outcome of elections and the outcome of a pandemic, let alone the outcome of the Yankee score, depends on you, it depends on me. The Gamla says, Leva Masha Amar Dovra Melach, Im Tishkavun Ben Shvatai, Ben Shvatayim, Shakush Borhu Shomer Vishoka, Sifse, Odom, Lenoshka, Shomer, Betor Tvil, Tihulu, Rimu, Vimosev of Libo Vada, Misa, Isha, Shuliak, Zeno, Ressus, Vizaya, Kushborhu is giving you a kiss, the Nachas Ruach that we give Hashem, and he goes on and on. The Kedushas Levi, the Levi Yitzchak of Berdichev, has a very similar idea on last week's Parsha, Parsha's Ekev, Viata Yisrael. And now, Jewish people, what does Hashem want from you? And says the Kedushas Levi, Chas v'shalom, you should have too little sense of self. You should dismiss the difference that you make. Realize, he calls, he goes so far as to say, Im chas adam Hashem. When it comes to making a difference, when it comes to being of, of importance, when it comes to the difference that your mitzvahs make, if a person thinks too little of themselves, false humility, and you say, Ah, what does Hashem care about my daf? If I drop it, will he even notice? What does he care if I attend the parshashir? What does he care if I make it to minion? What does he care if I give stuck? What does he care if I hold the door for another? Zehukfira says Rav Levi Yitzchak of Berdichev. It's heresy. Adarabah mitzvahs Hashem tzarach adun liyos l'aleymor ma'asai shani osa ritzon Hashem chashuvim be'enei habore yesh lo tano glashem yizborach ma'asai shani osa is mitzvos of yizborach shashem yizborach yesh lo tano mitzvos ish yisrosh shos lefanav ki yadua kodesh baruch who has nachas ruach just like when we do the right thing we give our parents nachas and that feels so good for us. When we do the right thing, we give Hashem such nachas ruach. And that too should feel so good for us. So, so far, we saw the chasam sofer, we saw Rashi, the Ramban, the chasam sofer, why the shift from the single to the plural, to know that what we choose to do makes a difference to so many. Based on that, Rav Druk, what did Hashem give us? A sense of anochi, a sense of self. Too much sense of self? Klala. Too little sense of self? I'm sorry, too little sense of self, klala. Too much sense of self, klala. Just the right sense of self that I matter, I make a difference. That, in fact, is an enormous, an enormous bracha. The Alexander Rebbe had a different understanding of this pasuk. Said the Alexander Rebbe, the emphasis should not be on anochi. We're going to move past this pasuk, I promise you. But I told you we could spend a week just on this opening pasuk. It's so rich, it's so beautiful, it's so geschmack. So Alexander Rebbe, Zatzal said the following, He said the emphasis in this Pasuk should not be on the word Anochi. What exactly did Hashem give us? What is Moshe telling us? What did Hashem give us that could either be a bracha or klala? We saw Rav Juk said it's the Anochi, sense of self. Says the Alexander Rebbe, it's not that, it's the sense of Hayom. What am I giving before you? Hayom. A concept of today, of mortality, a concept of impermanence a concept of being temporary and fleeting, of, of knowing that you're a mere mortal, that you won't live forever. All you have is the here and now. All you can live in is this moment of Hayom. And that realization, that acceptance of our fragility and our vulnerability and our mortality, 
The notion that all I have is Hayom, I don't know what tomorrow will bring. Who would have predicted six months ago where we are today? And who can predict today where we will be six months from now? All we have is Hayom. We are mere mortals. We are fragile. We are vulnerable. And that concept itself, bracha uklala, can go in either direction. Tonight will be the final installment of being our best selves. We've been focusing on this notion of mindfulness, of living in the present as the foundation to be our best selves. We'll continue tonight at nine o'clock. It can go in either direction, bracha or klala. If we allow that feeling of vulnerability of Hayom to bring us to a state of despair and depression, if we allow it to make us give up or give in, it's a klala. If I say all I have is today and all I do is focus on my vulnerability, then I'll have great anxiety and worry and fear. And then it's a klala. But if the recognition of mortality, if it makes us embrace every moment and live it to its fullest and becomes a catalyst and a stimulus of change, then it's a bracha. So Re'a Anochi B'Sinof Nechem says the Alexander Rebbe, I've given before you hayom, mortality, temporary. What do you do with it? How do you feel from it? And we see Chazal contrast these two perspectives. On the one hand, our rabbis discourage us from approaching life with an attitude of echol v'shaso, ki machar namuz. Don't say eat and drink and be merry because you could die tomorrow. Don't just live today carefree and recklessly because you could die tomorrow. Recognition of our own mortality for some is a license for hedonism, to live selfishly. And that's wrong. It's a klala. If that's the approach, then it's a klala. It's a curse. But instead, Chazal say, live and say, im lo if not now, when? Make that phone call. Repair that relationship. Make that change. Start that new life. Pasuk earlier in Dvarim says, hayom la'asosam. The concept of hayom is la'asosam. When we think about the word hayom, La'asosam, it should drive us, it should move us to move, to act, to do. It should be a springboard for change and to make a difference. Mortality should encourage us to take advantage of every moment. And perhaps that's what the Torah is telling us. The Vilna Gon, the Grah, points out, note that the Pasuk doesn't say, I gave you, but it says it in the present. I give to you in the present tense. Why no sane in the present tense? And Vilna Gon says, because you don't only have free will when you're young. You don't only have free will at the beginning of your marriage or the beginning of your parenting or the beginning of your career or the beginning of your life as an observant Torah Jew. It's re'anochi no sane in the present tense. I give you every day the opportunity to start again. Every day is the opportunity to embrace today as if it's the first day. Daven like you never daven before. Learn like you never learned before. Have new ambition in your career and your profession. Have new ambition in your marriage, in your parenting. says the nasan. Every day is a new day, a fresh start. Every day is a new opportunity to redefine ourselves. It's never too late to become the person that we were meant to be. Lastly, on this passage, the Imre Chaim, the great vision of Tzarebbe, the Imre Chaim, says the following. Says the Imre Chaim the following. One can arrive at the conclusion that there's a God because of one of two reasons. It could be a munapshuta, what we call simple acceptance. My parents, who I see are listening today, I love seeing them on Zoom. My parents told me that there's a Ribonashalm, there's an Abishter. They have a relationship with him. He's been involved in their lives and he's involved in mine. How did they know it? They heard it from their parents, who heard it from their parents, who heard it from their parents, who were at Har Sinai and heard from Hashem directly. And Amun Apshuta, I don't have to investigate. I don't have to analyze. I don't have to take philosophy courses. I don't have to read or take discovery seminars. I don't have to look at Bible codes. How do I know there's a Kaddish Baruch Hu? My parents told me. My parents told me. How do I know there's Hashem? Because I see the sunrise in the morning. How do I know that there's Hashem? Because I look at it this world. And there's another type of emunah, the person who says, prove it to me. Where's the evidence? How do I know? Prove it to me. I want proof. Where's the evidence? Ria. I want to see it for myself. I want to analyze. I want to investigate. I want to take that course, read that book. I want it proven. But the truth is, if you're waiting for a absolute ironclad proof, you'll never get it. Parenthetically, I believe, as I've shared with you, that there's overwhelming evidence that God exists, conclusive evidence he exists, the same amount of evidence exists that there's a God as that you should 
take the medicine that you got at the pharmacy or believe the brakes on your car will work and we can share that evidence in another context and at another time. But, but, for the skeptic or cynic, for the person looking for the whole, you will never have an absolute proof. Just like in science, nothing's absolutely proven, which is why we keep changing it on a regular basis. So the more you investigate, the more you're chasing something that you can never find. And that's the Pasuk says the Ibn Chaim. In Amuna of If your relationship with Hashem is dependent on a sense of Re'eh, you have to see it for yourself. You have to have it proven to you. You have to investigate and have your questions answered. If you find satisfactory answers, then that attitude towards Amuna will be a bracha. Maybe it's enhancing your relationship with Hashem. But maybe you won't find satisfactory answers. Maybe you'll still be searching. Maybe the whole thing is an excuse to walk away. Then that attitude of re'eh, prove it to me. I have to see it for myself, is a klola. However, the next pasuk, es ha-bracha asher tishmu'u, says the Vishnitzer. Es ha-bracha emunah sheyesh ba-bracha belvad is asher tishmu'u. Emunah pi Hamuna pshuta. You want an amuna which is exclusively a bracha, not bracha uklala? That's asher tishmu'u. Listen to your parents. Listen to your babi and zayda. Listen to those who came before. Except with an amuna pshuta that there's HaKadosh Baruch Hu in the world. So an attitude and an amuna of re'eh can yield either bracha or klala. An attitude and an amuna of asher tishmu'un will yield bracha alone. The choice is ours of which is the approach and the attitude that we're going to bring towards our relationship, towards our relationship with Hashem. Okay, that is the Heiliga Vizhnetzer Rebbe. I promised you we were going to move on to the Pesukim, and we will. Perak Yudbeis, Pasuk Hei. So continuing the parasha, again, this is Moshe's monologue, soliloquy to the Jewish people, the greatest Musa Sefer ever, ever authored. Incredible, you should read it and dive into it. It kills me to be skipping. Perak Yud Beis, Mishpat, Lasos, and so on. These are the laws. You got to destroy the idols. You got to purge the contaminants from the land. When you come in, you got to start with a clean slate. Kadosh Baruch his vision for Israel, and from there it will project out to the world. Perak Yud Beis, Pasakei. Los Asum Everything I'm telling you to do to these idols, destroy, eliminate, purge, erase, don't do that. That's why we have a whole institution called Shemos. You're not allowed to throw away the name of Hashem. You can't destroy it, you can't throw it away. Fascinating tshuvas. Of uh, Zilberstein, the Chashuk Echemet is a great tshuva. He says one neighbor was angry at another neighbor in Israel, and he decided to get revenge. And how, was he, how did he decide to get revenge? Don't try this at home. His revenge was that in Israel, where there's no rain in the off-season, and the windshields often get covered terribly with dust, he decided he was going to write Shem Hashem in the dust on the back windshield of his neighbor's car. And now the neighbor wanted to know what to do. Could he clean his car? Could he clean the car? What to do? Shemos. Could you clean such a car? Los Asun the institution of Shemos. But it's the next passage I want to draw your attention to. Pasuk hey. On page 1000 in the article, Stone Chumash. Only the place that Hashem your God will choose from among all your tribes to place his name there, that's what you shall seek out his presence and come there. That's where you should go. What is this mysterious place? Hashem says, where am I telling you to do this? Erase and eliminate all the paganism and the idolatry. Don't do that to me. We're going to be a microcosm from the world. Am Yisrael, Eretz Yisrael, Torah Yisrael. And we're going to do it at that place that I want you to come to. Where is this mysterious place? Why didn't Hashem give the address? Why not give the coordinates to plug into Waze, the GPS, to get their quickest route? No traffic, no police. No accidents, no construction. Why is Hashem so mysterious? What does He say? El the place that I choose to put my name. no sidrashu. You should inquire after it. Uvas Hashem and come there. Where? What's the address? Ikra chasam and a sefer. Hashem left out the most important part. It's a romantic description of what we're going to achieve there, what we're going to do there, who we're going to be there. Beautiful. I love it. Great. What's the address? So the Chizkuni here says, it took time for the Beis HaMikdash to finally be built in Yerushalayim, and beforehand the precursor of the Mishkan moved around, so a specific place to find Hashem's presence was not provided. Hashem doesn't give a location, a GPS coordinate, because it moved around. In fact, Rashi comments that Shama there is not in fact talking about the Beis HaMikdash at all. Look at Rashi, Shama. Rashi says it's talking about the Mishkan. 
It's talking about the Mishkan, which was in Shiloh for 369 years. But the Ramban has an entirely different way of understanding the word Shema. The Ramban says that there, first the Ramban suggests, the adverb there is referring to the Beis HaMikdash. If that's the case, why not give the specific locations? The Ramban says it's by design. Hashem wants us to seek it. Hashem wants us to calibrate our compass towards holiness. Hashem wants you to close your eyes, take a deep breath and say, I want to be drawn towards holiness. Where do I go next? Not everything, you know, Waze is making us stupid. We have no sense of direction. There are articles that have been written, studies that have been done, that the more that we have GPS coordinates, the more that we have in our car, built into the car, or a smartphone, or CarPlay, then we have no sense of direction anymore. I can't get to my neighbor's house without Waze, without Google Maps. It's making us stupid. So that's true geographically, but it's also true spiritually. So the Ramban says the reason Hashem doesn't give a location is He wants us to calibrate our compass to holiness. He says, I'm not bailing you out. I'm not making it easy for you. I want you to find it. I want you to be drawn like a magnet towards holiness. So instead of giving us a location, he says, I want you to come to the holiest place on earth and confirm it with a Navi. Intuit it. Feel it intuitively and then confirm it with the Navi. And that's what happened. Chazal tells that when David first studied the Torah text and the geography of the land, with that information, he posited where the future location of the Beis HaMikdash was on Har HaMoriah. And later, God HaNavi confirmed that David was correct. So it happened exactly the way it was drawn up here, but the Ramban offers a second interpretation. And the Ramban says the word Shama is not referring to a geographic location at all. My friends, listen carefully to this. It's so fundamental, so foundational. It's so important. I think we've studied it before, and that's why it bears repeating. He says the Ramban in the second pshat, for the sake of time, we're not reading it inside, but says the Ramban, Shama is not the Mishkan. Shama, be drawn there, is not the Beis HaMikdash. Where is Shama? Shama is L'Shichno. Shama is going to that place where you feel Hashem's presence. Going to the place where you feel His influence. Going to the place where He's involved in your life. Torah is saying, Tidrashu, if you want to feel Hashem in your life, seek Him, look for Him, reveal Him, connect with Him, let Him in. And this is so significant for us because I don't know where you're joining from, but many locations were still very much shut down. Shuls are open in very minimal ways. And what we've relied on and counted on to draw inspiration from singing together in shul and minyan, from attending shiurim, from socializing at a kiddush, from coordinating chesed, it's been taken from us, snatched from us, robbed from us. And so many have given up and they cop out and they say, I can't go to shul, I can't generate spirituality, so basically I'm taking a loss. Sometimes you made a bad investment, you just take the loss and you write it off. So I'm taking a spiritual loss this year. Corona's been a bad spiritual investment and I'm writing it off and I'm taking a loss. But that's the wrong attitude. It's for us to be drawn to holiness, to let Hashem in wherever we are. Locked down, quarantined, only minimally seeing one another and integrated. We have to generate that spirituality. It's up to us. It's up to us. We were talking yesterday and our Elul campaign this year is going to be exactly this. That the answer is in us. What we've relied on in the past for Yom Noram, Rosh Hashanah, Sarah Yom Kippur, we will not have this year. We can't congregate 2,000 strong chazanim, davening that goes on and on, piyutim that we sing out loud. We don't have that choice. So do we write it off? Do we walk away? Do we give up? No, it's up to us. Rabbi Salavechik in his beautiful Chumash suggests that Ramban's two understandings are really one. Whether it's the geographic location of the Beis HaMikdash or the spiritual experiences and the moments that we're longing for, the coordinates in both cases are not provided to us. We're not given the map to arrive at the destination, but we have to calibrate our compass and we have to find it. Ask questions, search, yearn, look, be drawn, extend that spiritual antenna, be receptive to picking up the signal of Hashem. Tidrashu, be a Doresh, go look for Him. Go look for Him. This is a machlokis between Uncle Moshe and the Kotzke Rebbe. What do I mean? A machlokis, Uncle Moshe and the Kotzke Rebbe doesn't appear in your Mikros Kedolos, this machlokis. Uncle Maishi, who I love and is my friend, Uncle Maishi sang and says, Hashem is here, Hashem is there, Hashem is everywhere. And it's true, omnipotent, infinite, Hashem is absolutely everywhere. But the Kotzke Rebbe was a young boy. And at the time he was challenged by another Rebbe. And he said, where is Hashem? Where can he be found? And the Kotzke, as a young boy, looked up and said, only where you let him in. Hashem is found only where you let him in.
He is here, there, and everywhere. It's true. But he's also only where you let him in. It's up to us to have that relationship to let him in. In Havdalah, we distinguish between a whole list of things, said the Rav. We distinguish and we contrast light and dark, Jews and non-Jews, seventh day and the first six. And the Rav points out light and darkness are clear, we can perceive it. Even animals understand the difference between light and dark. But the Havdalah between Kodesh Lachol, Havda bin Kodesh Lachol, what's holy and what's profane, it's not visible. It's not measurable. It's not scientific. can't be perceived by the naked eye. You have to have a special intuition. You can only see it with your heart. The separation can only be sensed. It cannot be seen. And that's what the Torah is telling us. Calibrate your spiritual compass. Extend your spiritual antenna. Pick up Hashem's signal. Look, live your life where you're looking for Him. You feel Him. You know Him. It says when Avram went with his entourage to the Akedah, he saw Har HaMariah from a distance. And he turned to Yitzchak and he said, what do you see? And Yitzchak said, I see a beautiful and a praiseworthy mountain. I see a, a nunim. I see a cloud that envelops it. And he asked Eliezer and Yishmael, the other two in the entourage, what do you see? He said, what do we see? We see nothing. <laughs> it's a barren desert. It's gornished. So Avram turns to them. He says, you see nothing? Eh, you stay here with the donkey. The donkey doesn't see and you don't see. Yitzchak, you see a beautiful mountain enveloped in a cloud you come with me. The there, where were they going? Adko, Har Hamoria, the Makam HaMikdash, this place that Hashem chose to put his name. Avram intuited holiness. And he checked. Yitzchak also had the same intuition. He was drawn to that holiness. And the others, they saw a desert. They saw nothing. They saw mundane. They saw nothing. To be a Jew is to be a Yid is to make Havdalah, to distinguish between Kodesh and Chol, spiritual mundane. It's to calibrate that compass. It's to open that magnet. It's to be, extend that antenna. It's to be drawn towards holiness. A donkey only sees the superficial, a surface. A donkey wants to satisfy its appetite, but we see what's more. Ubasa Shama, and we're drawn to want to go there, to go to Him, to go to Hashem. The answer is not outside ourselves. The answer is in ourselves, and the answer is up to us. The answer is up to us. We Jews have incredible creative spiritual imaginations that when others look and they see nothing, eh, it's a sunrise, it's a sunset. It's a natural phenomena. We say natural phenomena. The birth of a child, the marriage of a child, of a grandchild, a sunrise, a sunset. That's the Rebona Shalom. Are you kidding? There are no coincidences. That's Hashgacha Pratis. You see a desert. I see a mountain enveloped in a cloud. The Sheikh Nosidrashu Uvasa Shama. Perikud Bey's Pasuk Ches, continuing. What's the point here when we get there? Usmachtem b'chomishlach yedchem. We eat there in front of the base of Mikdash and we uh, offer korbanos there. And the goal is v'samachta l'fnei Hashem. Perik Yud Bey's Pasuk Yud Ches. In l'fnei Hashem l'kecha tochlener, b'makom ha-sheivcha Hashem l'kecha bo'u. We offer our korbanos, that's where we eat our holy consecrated foods in the place Hashem chose. All the members of our household. And we should be happy. Happy before Hashem with all that we send our heart. Happy before Hashem. Rabbi Salavechik describes that it's not a coincidence that these words appear together. Whenever you find the word simcha in the Torah, you find it in conjunction with two other words. When are we besimcha? When are we happiest? When do we find that greatest happiness? V'samachtem lifnei Hashem. Lifnei Hashem. Listen to the Rav. This phrase suggests that when one is in the presence of God, there's joy. God's presence must be a constant experience in our lives. Though we can neither see nor hear Him, each Jew must still experience the presence of Hashem. A Jew is required to develop the ability to feel closeness to Hashem, to feel His breath on one's face, to see Him in every phenomenon, in historical events, and the majesty of nature. One must perceive Hashem not only in miracles, but in natural phenomena, and in particular in one's own destiny. The sensation of experiencing that one is lifting Hashem is a halachic imperative. Prayer, for example, requires more than intent. It requires that man experience God in his immediate proximity. Rahmana liba boy, Hashem wants our heart. There's no greater joy than sensing that one is lefnei Hashem. Joy is the sensation that one feels when he's close to his origin, the Creator. He's aware that someone guides and cares for him. The experience of lefnei Hashem is enhanced through the study of Torah. Survival of the Jews throughout generations of persecution and abuse is due to the sublime experience of being in his presence. How did a Jew running from a pogrom, how did a Jew fleeing from an expulsion, how did a Jew surviving an attempted extermination, how were they besimcha? 
How are we besimcha during a pandemic, a coronavirus with enemies? How can one be besimcha? The answer is the more that one is lefnei Hashem, the more one is besimcha. They correlate and they go together. If you live in a world where you think that you are simply a subject of randomness and chance, then you'll be miserable, fabisana, worried, anxious, walking around all the time. But if you live a life and you live in a world where you say, Lifne Hashem, there's meaning, there's purpose, there's order. It's by design. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is choreographing and calibrating and curating my life. Then even when we face hardship and challenge with Lifne Hashem, then we're always besimcha. Always besimcha. On a festival, the laws of mourning are nullified in account of the joy associated with the day. On a festival, all Israel stands before Hashem. And the festival's importance is identified with man's rejoicing before his creator. The joy is an emotional expression of human experience of standing before Hashem. And it is this experience before Hashem that fully annuls the mourning. For mourning and standing before Hashem are mutually exclusive. Because sin separates man and God, one merits happiness upon attaining forgiveness. True simcha occurs when one feels himself directly in God's presence. You want more simcha in your life than work on living with emunah. Work on being lifnei Hashem. That He's with us wherever and whenever that he's involved in our lives, that we submit to him. Simcha is the result of being Lifne Hashem, and that's why we find those world words always, uh, always together. Moving right along. We talked about bringing these consecrated and sacred foods to Yerushalayim, permission to eat meat, unconsecrated meat. Originally, the intent was only korbanos could be eaten. One where we given license to hold our own barbecues, and to eat our delicious steaks and jerky and all kinds of other fleshing delicacies. I mentioned in another context, it wasn't the Parsha Shir. Someone said to me, we had in last week's Parsha, we had the uh, falling of the Mun, and that the fact that the Mun fell was a test for us. And, uh, and somebody said to me last week, a great insight, they said it as a joke, but I take it as true insight. said, where was the Chesed in the Midbar? In a Kola lifestyle where Hashem provided everything. He provided our food, our drink, our security, he gave us our, 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 our parnasa, our roof over our head. So how did one do chesed for another when the other had no need? So he said, you know, that's not true. There was an opportunity chesed. We know the man tasted like anything that you wanted. So Nebuch, one person, was going to have the man taste like milchuks. And when another person said to him, what are you, crazy? Picture a steak. That was a great act of chesed. When you said to the other person, what are you doing having, milchik, having, having the man taste like milchik? Have it taste like fleshik. That was the great act of chesed that yet could be done in the Midbar. None of you appreciated or enjoyed that as much as I did. So we will move right along. Perik Yud Gimel, Pasuk Yud Ches. We have the story of the three, three stories in succession of those who try to lead us astray. Mesis and Mediach and the Navi Sheker and the Ir Nidachas. Kaddish Baruch Hu has a lot of opposition. He faces a lot of opposition in this world. People who try to put forth or advocate opposing forces or powers who try to spew lies. There's a Navi Sheker, there's the false prophet. We have false prophets in our time who, you know, fake news and try to promote forces and truths other than Hashem. We have Mesis Umeidiyach, those who try to lead us astray. We have technologies that are Mesis Umeidiyach. We have mass-produced Mesis Umeidiyach with incredible force that has never existed before. And then we have the Irni Dachas, the wayward city, a city that is worshipping idols, where the Torah gives us a very, very harsh consequence that we are to eliminate that city. And that section ends with a awkward Pasuk. Perik Yud Gimel Pasuk Yud Ches. You should not uh, hold on to anything from that which was banned from this city of idolatry. So that Hashem will return from the anger that he had. And he will show you compassion. He'll give you mercy and he'll be compassionate to you. And he'll multiply you like he swore to your forefathers. What in the world is this second half of the Pasuk doing here? What in the world does it mean? Here we're given the mandate, the mission, you have to destroy an irindachas. It's so pernicious, this attitude, this perspective, it can have such an impact on compromising and sabotaging the Jewish people as we take place in our uh, residence, in our land, you have to eliminate them. Even your fellow Jew. And irindachas is not non-Jews. The irindachas is filled with fellow Jews. And it's so dangerous, so risky, you have to eliminate them. So upon whom is v'nasal nacharacham and v'richamcha? What's the compassion here? Where is this compassion placed? So the Medrash wonders this, 
And the Medrash quotes first Rabbi Akiva. And Rabbi Akiva says, this compassion is on the children. It's on the children. Even though you're eliminating all the adults, and you're eliminating even the animals of the Irni Dachas, but the children, the children should be allowed to live. So Rabbi Akiva says, this is a reference to the children. Rabbi Eliezer in the Medrash disagrees. And Rabbi Eliezer says, we're not talking about the children, but we're talking about you. And who's going to have compassion on you? The surviving relatives of the people that you slaughtered in the Yir Nidachas. Normally, one person harms a family member of another. That family member wants to avenge the blood. The whole institution of the Yir Miklat is that you flee when you kill Beshogeg from the family member who wants to avenge the blood of their loved one. So here I would think that the Krovim, the loved ones, the relatives of the members of the Yir Nidachas who are wiped out are going to seek revenge, are going to hate the people who, who uh, perpetrated the elimination of the Irni Dachas. Comes along the Torah, according to Rebbe Yezer, and promises, no, there's going to be compassion, there's going to be love, there will be understanding. That's Rebbe Kiva and Yezer, that's the Medrash. But the Orachayim HaKadosh has a different interpretation. The Orachayim HaKadosh, Orachayim Ben Atar, we're on Perak Gimel, Pasuk Yud Ches, if you have your Mikros Kedolos, Perak Gimel, Pasuk Yud Ches. And the Orachayim HaKadosh says the following, you know what happens? Soldiers come back from war. And even in the noble pursuit of defending their own people, they have to take up arms. When you hold a weapon, when you are forced with having to face it in the direction of an enemy, you're put in a position that you have to pull that trigger, it can't help but generate a sense of cruelty in you. People come back from war and they struggle with not being cruel themselves, says the Orchaim HaKadosh. He says, you know, I had a, a, a meeting and uh, I heard from a group of terrorists, Yishma'ilim, and those terrorists, these murderous terrorists, they say that they learn to get a geschmack from killing. And it breeds in them, it cultivates within them a sense of cruelty, of Achzarius. That's why the Torah is making a promise that no, fulfill Hashem's word and eliminate near Nidachas and Hashem will have Rachamim v'richamcha and He will make you compassionate. He will preserve your capacity for compassion. That even though you will have to carry out what you will have to carry out, nevertheless, you will remain a compassionate people. That's what this Pasuk means and that's Hashem's promise. The Nitziv adds on to it and he says, that's why Pinchas got the bris shalom. Pinchas' reward was the covenant of Peace. What a bizarre covenant. A covenant of peace. Pinchas eliminated Kazbi and Zimri. He killed them. He drove a spear through the two of them at once. And he got the covenant of peace? The answer is yes. Hashem gave him the covenant to know that even though you had to do a graphic, gruesome act, even though you had to do something violent, nevertheless, sometimes doing so is in the name of peace. And nevertheless, Hashem says, I've preserved your capacity for Rachamim. That's what is going on that's what's going on over here in this Pasuk. Rechamecha. Perak Yedal Pasuk Moving along. Torah has a, now a list and a litany of, of rules, of laws. First we have the laws of uh, Kashrus, but before Kashrus, it's introduced with this statement. You are children of Hashem, and because of that, you're not allowed to make a bald spot, don't cut yourself, don't make a bald spot between your eyes. You cannot, when grieving for the loss of a friend of a loved one, you cannot be so overwhelmed with grief that you'll grieve excessively such that you cut yourself. Cutting yourself is, a, again, a form of mental illness today. People who cut themselves describe that they have a buildup of such pain, such emotional, spiritual pain, that they need to create physical pain as a form of release from the emotional, spiritual pain they're experiencing. It makes no sense. Why, why would someone cut themselves? People with mental illness literally cut themselves. Not in a suicide attempt, they cut themselves. Why? Because they need to manifest the pain that they're feeling. It's the only thing that can give them relief. Interestingly, mental health professionals have an alternative for a person who feels that way. They say a person who's going through that trauma and has that unhealthy, very dangerous feeling should hold ice. Why? When you hold ice, the ice has a feeling like it's burning a hole in your hand. 
So it has the effect of that release, and you're able to give yourself, inflict that pain, but without chas v'shalom, the risk of actually cutting yourself and what can happen. Now, that's not healthy either. It's not encouraging people to hold ice in order to cause pain, but it's an alternative to chas v'shalom, the opposite. So losus go to do. That's not something only new. The Torah already way back when was saying, don't cut yourself and don't create this bald spot. And why? You're the children of Hashem. We studied this several times in the past in the parasha class, but I want to offer you a few new perspectives this year. We've seen the great Ramban, the Ibn Ezra, a lot of different interpretations exactly what is going on over here. Rav, Mor- Rav um, Mordechai of Kozhmir, great tzaddik, says the following. You know what it means? Banim atem l'ashem alokechem. You are children of Hashem. Banim atem. Why not say banim l'ashem alokechem? Banim includes your children. Why banim atem? What is the word atem adding over here? So the Gemara in Rosh Hashanah Dav Chathei, Chazal Darshan, a different Pasuk. Different Pasuk says, Eile Moadei Hashem, Asher Tikruotem, Osam. This is the Moadim, this is the holidays, Asher Tikruot Osam, that you call them. So there the Torah says, Atem, Afil Shogim, Atem, Afil Mezidim, Atem, Afil Mutim. We know the Gemara Rosh Hashanah says that the Beisdin is empowered to set the calendar. The first mitzvah we were given when we left Mitzrayim. Beisdin is the one who sets the calendar. Kiddush HaChodesh, they hear the testimony of the new moon, they set the calendar, and they determine when the holidays fall out. What if they made a mistake? What if intentionally they manipulate the calendar? What if they say, I need to be able to catch the playoff game and I can't have it coincide with Yom Kippur, so we're going to sanctify the new moon as empty or full in order to manipulate the calendar to fall out the way I want it to. Or, let's say a much more noble reason they want it to fall out that way. So, even if they do it on purpose, mizidim, if they do it by accident, shogigim, even mutim. So, that's what the tzaddik of Mordechai of Kozhmer says. The same way Chazal understand the word atem there to mean atem, you are given that gift. Atem afil mizidim, atem afil shogigim. He applies it to our Pasuk. Bonim atem l'ashem elokeichem. Bonim, you are Hashem's children. Afilu mezidim. Afilu shogim. Afilu mutim. Nothing you can do. Nothing you can do. We as parents tell our children that I may be disappointed in your actions, but there's nothing you could ever do to make me stop loving you. Nothing. I love you unconditionally. I love you to the end of the earth. I would take a bullet for you. I'd jump in front of a car for you. There are things you could do that would make me gravely disappointed. I could reject or disagree with some of your choices, but you as my child, you and your relationship with me, I feel a shogim, I feel a mazidim, I feel a mutim. There's nothing you can do. So very beautifully, the tzaddik applied this interpretation, the drasha, from the Gemara elsewhere in Rosh Hashanah about the mo'adim, to our pasuk about banim atem l'ashem you are our banim no matter, no matter what. But I want to share with you Rav Druk. Rav Druk has a beautiful pshat here on banim atem l'ashem and Rav Druk says the following, Rav Yisrael Meir Druk, we've been learning his beautiful sefer that he gave me called Eish Tomid, Rav Yisrael Meir Druk, a great Rosh of Yerushalayim today. He says the following, what is the connection between Bano Atem L'Shem and Losus Godudu, Losasim Karcha? So Rashi says, Rashi says, because you're the children of Hashem, you have to look like royalty. You're princes and princesses. Modern royalty is running away from royalty. Whatever the name of that prince is, I forgot his name, married to that uh, celebrity. So they said, we don't want to be a prince anymore. We're done. We're out. We're out. But we would never want to run away from this royalty. We are princes and princesses. We're children of Hashem. So Rashi says, as children of Hashem, what are you going to carve a bald spot? You're going to cut your skin? You have to carry yourself as royalty. You have to look like royalty. Because because you're royalty, you need to appear like royalty. The Ramban is a different interpretation. And uh, Ramban says, you're not allowed to mourn or grieve excessively. Why can't you mourn or grieve excessively? Because banam atem to whom? L'ashem alokechem. When do you mourn or grieve excessively? When you think all there is is the here and now. There is no afterlife. There is no future. There is no world to come. We'll never be reunited with those that we lost. Then we are inconsolable. Then we are broken beyond repair. But the person who believes in their heart of heart, if you believe that we will be reunited with those who are no longer here, if you believe the neshama has gone to a better place, if you do believe that we will all be in the world to come eventually, if you believe, then Moses go to do. 
then you're never going to grieve or mourn excessively because while there's a feeling of loss and you have to honor that feeling of loss, it's very real, but you're never going to be excessive with it. The Ibn Ezra weighs in and the Dasikani Baratosas weigh in. They all have interpretations. How do you connect the two halves of the Pasuk? We've seen many of them in the past. I want to offer you the new one of Drux this year. And he says the following. What's the connection between the two? So Chazal say the Gemara Nyevamos, Dafyad Gimel, has another interpretation of los, of losis go to do. Losis go to do, the Pashup Shad is you're not allowed to cut yourself. But the Gemara there says losis go to do, losasu agudos agudos. You're not allowed to have different factions and different sects and different segments of the Jewish people. There's a great, we gave a shir in the afternoon call a few months ago about losis go to do, how it applies in halacha. Can half the shul stand while half the shul sits? Half the shul wear tefillin cholamoid, half the shul doesn't wear tefillin cholamoid. How do you have Ashkenazim and Sephardim davening in the same shul? How do you have a melting pot of different menhagim? Losis go to do. You're not allowed to have different practices and different observances. And the Rishonim there on the Gemara give different reasons why we have this prohibition. Rashi says because it shouldn't look like we have many Torahs. It shouldn't look like we have several Torahs. Hashem gave one Torah, one authentic, one authoritative Torah. We don't have many. Others say it shouldn't look like there's machlokas, that we don't get along. So the Gemara there in Yavama says, Los is go to do. You're not allowed to have agudos, agudos. You can't have different factions. We have to be a melting pot. We have to unite. We have to become together as one. So says Rav Druk, maybe that's the connection. Because banim atem Hashem alakeichem, Los is go to do. You see, my children, can I know how to baruch Hashem, I'm very blessed. I now have nine children. I had seven children, but when two of them marry, you very quickly go to nine, and it's beautiful. I now have two sons that I didn't have to raise. I didn't have to take them through adolescence and high school in the most horrible years. It's the most beautiful thing in the world when your children get married. You get to get them when they're already a mensch and a ben Torah. It's such a beautiful thing. So can I know how to believe I know nine children? My nine children are diverse and different. And I hope they'll continue to grow to be diverse and different in their thinking, in their practice, in their dress, in their likes, in their wants, in their needs. But you know what they're united in? in their loyalty and love of family, in their commitment to our shared values and shared ideals. How do you achieve losus go to do? When will you not be agudos agudos? When you're banim atem l'ashem alokeichem. Says Rav Druk, if we see ourselves as children of Hashem, I don't care if you're Ashkenazi, or Sfarni, Nusach Ari, Nusach Sfard, I don't care whether you follow Rav Moshe, you follow Rav Yashav, you follow Chazanish, it doesn't matter. Banim atem l'ashem alokeichem. We can express and manifest our individuality as long as we're united as banim atem l'ashem alokeichem. We are all children of Hashem. And he suggests, maybe that's the Pshat in the Pasuk. That's how you connect the first half and the last half of the Pasuk. Not on los siskodidu, don't cut yourself, but los siskodidu, don't be agudos agudos. Why and how should you not be agudos agudos? Because banim atem l'ashem alokeichem. And then he invokes, we've shared this interpretation before, why do we give the bracha Friday night? We bless our children Ephraim and Menashe. We don't bless them to be like Moshe and Aaron. We don't bless them to be like Aaron, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. We don't bless them to be like David and Shlomo. Why do we bless them Ephraim and Menashe? They are not the most major figures of our Tanakh, of our Torah. The answer is they are the first to get along. They're the first to get along. There's no jealousy or enmity. There's no competitiveness between them. Ephraim and Menashe, even though it was switched, Ephraim's the younger one, and he is considered greater than Menashe, that Yaakov pulled the switcheroo on the two of them, and that competitiveness didn't create a divide between them. They got along, and that's our bracha to our children. This reflects the ultimate hope of a parent. Hashem just wants us to get along. We give a bracha to our children Friday night. You know what the most meaningful thing to me is? Just be like Ephraim and Menashe. Be different. Be individuals. But don't be competitive. Get along. Love one another. So we too can show that we show that love to Hashem. How? When? When we don't act as separate factions with machlokas, when we all get along. Last, I have so much more, as always, that I wanted to share with you, but last idea for today. Last idea for today. Mithashem, next week we'll be broadcasting back from our home. Can't wait to be back. Perak Yudalad Pasuk Chav Beis. Perak Yudalad Pasuk Chav Beis. Aser Taser is called You recognize this from the laning on Yom and Tovim. Aser Taser. And here Chazal tell us, Aser Taser. Aser. Beshvil Shatis Asher. Tithe so that you can become rich. What? Tithe so that you can become rich. Asher b'shvil shetis aser. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? The Gemara in Tainus Daf Tes. Rabbi Yechonon teaches aser taaser aser. Why do you tithe? Why do you separate? How do you give away b'shvil shetis aser? And the Gemara there in Tainus has a whole discussion with Rabbi Yechonon. What do you mean? Are you allowed to test Hashem? If I give tzedakah, 
Hashem is going to give me manifold, manifold back? And the answer is yes. If you have an investment broker and they give you a return on your investment, do you not allocate more money to them? If you have another broker who gives you a loss, do you not stop giving them money? Because Baruch is the same way as us. We are stewards over his money. When we make wise decision and give him a return on the investment he's given us, he gives us more because we're in fact fulfilling his vision, his will for that money. But if we in fact have a loss, we don't share it, we don't give it out, we don't take care, we don't repair the world, we don't help others with it, we selfishly squander it, keep it for ourselves, then he'll stop giving it. So on the one end, yeah, aser taser. Give meiser, and it's the one area of Torah, the one mitzvah, the one area of halacha that you're allowed to test God. God, 10%, I'm going to give it away, and I'm counting on you to make it back. I'm counting on you to re- replenish the coffers. I'm planning, counting on you to put it back in the account. I'm allowed to test God in that way. I'm allowed to rely on that promise from Him. Aser, b'shvil shetis aser. But Rav Juk has another pshat. And Rav Juk says maybe we should read it differently. Why? The Rambam and Shemona Prakim, you know, the Gemara tells us, Chazal tell us, that to be a Navi, an authentic prophet, you have to have several qualities. And among the qualities that a Navi has to have is, a Navi, in order to get Navi, to be a Navi, to be a prophet, to be a leader, you have to be wise, you have to be a warrior, and you have to be wealthy. Now the simple understanding is, when you have those things, you're beyond reproach. No one can buy you out. No one can buy your opinion. You're independently wealthy. No one thinks they have such influence on you with money. You have wisdom. You're smart. You're discerning. Obviously, you're going to be a leader. And you're gibor. You have what it takes. You have fortitude to stand up to the forces that you need to confront. So a navi, a leader, in order to be eligible, qualify for navu, has to be a chacham gibor va'ashir. However, the Rambam in Shemona Prakim, Perak Zion, offers a different interpretation of the word ashir. And the Rambam here says, what does it mean? We have Gedola Yisrael. We have the people of the past to be a Navi. you got to be wealthy. What are you talking about? They were all in real estate. They all did well with their investments. What are you talking about? Hedge fund managers, Nevi'im? So says the Rabbi Mishmona Prakim, Ezehu Ashir, Hasameach Bechelko. To qualify for Nevua, you don't have to have a lot of money in the bank. You have to be happy with what you have. Ezehu Ashir, Hasameach Bechelko. So based on that, Rabbi Mishmona Prakim, the Druk suggests here, Aser Taser. Torah says, give away tzaka aser, bishvil shetis asher. How will you become wealthy? By sharing what you have. Does that mean literally you'll become financially wealthy? No. When you're willing to share what you have, then you reveal that you're sameach bechelko, that you're happy with your lot in life. And when you're happy with what your lot in life is when you're really going to find happiness in your life. So aser to aser. Give meiser so that you become wealthy. Either literally, one interpretation, or by sharing what you have, you'll discover that you're happy with what you have, and that is the greatest wealth that anyone can have. So it's good to be back with the parsha. We continue at 9 o'clock tonight, the last, the last um, class for our best version of yourself, 9 o'clock tonight. Tomorrow evening, we are behind the bima again with Rav Judah Michel. Very excited to go behind the bima with him. We have some incredible guests lined up for the next few weeks. If you're watching on YouTube, please subscribe to our channel. Even if you're not, please take a moment to go subscribe to that channel and help us share our Torah more broadly and widely. It's great to see everyone. Stay happy, stay healthy, and stay holy.